So that's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 13, and to be found at page 1181 in your pew Bibles. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is a word of God. Some weeks ago, Christoph asked me to speak on the fruit of the Spirit, patience. Then after a few days, I was contacted again to ask to speak instead about peace. Why the change, I wondered. Maybe my wife had had a word with him. (laughs) But, you know, it's a bit like uh, out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh, How far is peace evident in my life? No matter which of these fruits of the Spirit uh, I talk about, I'm very conscious that it's easy to be a hypocrite telling people about what Christ expects from them when it's not very evident in your own life. So let's all come today to learn from God's Word, conscious of the fact that all of us fall far short of the standards Christ has called us to uphold. And I want to begin by giving you from Scripture a challenge and a promise The challenge, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then the promise, Philippians 4.7, the peace of God which which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will be with you. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. And we're going to sing a hymn now that those of you who observe the numbers on the board will have realized that we, we omitted earlier on. It's hymn uh, 122 in the Presbyterian book, Like a Mighty River is the Peace of God. 
Let's stand to sing. three dimensions. There's the peace that God made, the peace that God made between ourselves and him by the death of Christ on the cross. And then there's a peace that God gives, that peace of freedom from guilt and fear. And finally, there's a peace that God seeks to grow in your lives and in mine. And as Lisa has said, in this series of sermons, we are thinking about the fruits of the Spirit that grow in our lives. So our emphasis today is not on uh, peace with God, the peace that God has accomplished through Christ's death on the cross. It's, it's not dealing so much with the peace with God that we've received by his grace. Our focus today is on the peace that God wants to develop in our lives, the fruit of God's Spirit and of our obedience to him. Have you ever been to uh, Spring Hill in Moneymore? On Monday last, Ruth, my wife, and I went to visit the, the National Trust property there, Spring Hill in Moneymore, and we had a picnic lunch in a, a tiny little walled garden. And on the south-facing wall of this uh, uh, walled garden, uh, there was a mass of green leaves. 
What we had, there were four or five mature fig trees that were fanned over the, the wall of the garden. And uh, after we'd eaten, we went over to the wall uh, to see uh, if we could find much fruit on these fig trees that were growing there. We went because we have a fig tree at home, and uh, uh, despite all our best efforts, we have great trouble getting any fruit to grow on it. So we went to the wall. We went to the fig trees. It looked healthy. Uh, They looked healthy, attractive, big, green, shining leaves. We hunted up and down and left and right, but we only found one fig. That was all. Much of our lives are like those fig trees. There's a lot of foliage, but not much fruit. There's a lot of activity, quite acceptable and good activity going on in our lives, but very little fruit. All the singing, all the praying, all the religious activity, these things are important, but the question is, where is the fruit? It's the fruit that the divine gardener wants to see, not the foliage. It's the fruit that attracts people to Christ, not the foliage. So what is this fruit of the Spirit? Peace. What type of peace does God want, does God uh, expect to see in our lives? Do you know what the Hebrew word for peace is? If you were listening to Elisa, you'll know. Shalom. Shalom. In fact, it's how Jewish people greet one another. It would have been used by Jesus. Shalom, peace be with you. You'll remember that when Jesus sent out his apostles two by two, he told them when they entered anybody's house to say, peace to this house. After his resurrection, when he returned and and visited them, uh, hiding behind locked doors, he said to them, Peace be with you. Shalom. That greeting is still used today. Peace. When Jews say shalom to one another, they're not just saying hello. They're wishing the other person something much more something more comprehensive and deeper, a peaceful life, freedom from fear, contentment in their hearts, harmony in their families. The fruit of peace is not just having a quiet life or having a comfortable, cozy, trouble-free existence. That's not what shalom is. The word shalom The Bible idea for peace has got deeper meanings, well-being, balance, fulfillment, richness in life. That's the sort of peace that God wants to nourish in our lives. That's the sort of fruit of the Spirit that he's looking for. Now, at Spring Hill, we were looking for figs. At Kirkpatrick today, let's do a bit of searching also. Let's search for peace in our lives. When people look at your life or or my life, do they see peace? 
Do they see someone who's got a placidness, a pleasantness, a calmness, whatever the circumstances? Do they see what the, the hymn writer calls the beauty of Christ's peace? Can we see that in our own lives? Is that harmony and balance and fullness there? You see, we live in a world where the economy and advertising and the whole ethos of society is to encourage people to be discontented, to be dissatisfied, to be envious of others, to want more, to spend more, to, to, uh, to attain more, to advance more, to acquire more, uh, to compete more. Until death do us part. That's the life sentence that many of us have passed on ourselves. And this is the way of life in our society, and we've brought, bought into it. Is it any wonder that stress-related diseases are such a major problem? On the other hand, there are many people, many people around us, who are seeking some source of peace, some solace for their souls. That's why there's so much interest in meditation or mindfulness or the various quieting techniques of uh, Buddhism or elsewhere. That's why these things have become so popular. My question is this. Do people see in your life and in mine a peace, the fruit of the Spirit, a peace that would attract people to taste and see that the Lord is good? and can meet their deepest needs. When Paul was writing his letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. He was facing death. The Philippian Christians were facing all their own problems in that hostile city. And Paul writes to them about peace. Now, if your Bible's still open at uh, Philippians 4, you may like to look at some of the verses. Page 1181, it was, 1181, Philippians 4. Look at verse 4. Here's what Paul says to those people in that volatile, difficult, dangerous society. Amazing words. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything. In everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which is beyond our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. And how are those to whom Paul wrote to obtain this peace of mind in the midst of their problems, in the midst of that difficult society? He suggests that they should have a different focus on life from those around them. And if you look at verse 8, Here's the focus that Paul recommends to them and which he speaks to us about. Look at verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. Is that you? If that attitude was reflected today in what we choose to think, in our conversations, in our interests, in our attitudes, the fruit of peace would grow in our hearts. And what happened to Paul would happen to us. Look at verse 11. Here's what developed in Paul's life because he had that attitude. Here's the fruit of peace. Paul says, I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul's peace was an internal peace that sustained him, whatever the external situation. This is the type of peace that God wants us to have. But let me issue a word of warning. Beware of false peace. Beware of false peace. This is something that the great prophets of the Old Testament warned against. Jeremiah attacked the religious leaders in Israel in his day for the superficiality of their message about peace. Jeremiah 6.14, he complains, they dress the wound of my people lightly, as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. We have the same message from the great priest and prophet Ezekiel. His judgment on the religious leaders in his generation was much the same. Ezekiel 13.10, he says, They lead my people astray, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So we as Christians can make the same mistake today. We can be so content on living a, a quiet, peaceful life that we close our eyes to evil and injustice. There may be all sorts of wrongdoings and things in our society that disrupt the peace of many people's lives. But we do nothing because we we, we don't want any unpleasantness or hostility or hassle. We can retreat into our safe little groups of like-minded people. We can focus on personal peace only. And of course, what you ignore you eventually become blind to. But after a time, a festering sore, a festering sore of injustice can poison all of life. Turmoil can grip society. The good and bad will suffer. The Bible makes it clear that peace without justice isn't the type of peace that God wants. Peace without justice isn't the type of peace that abides. We say peace, peace sometimes when there is no peace. Brian Wren is a modern English hymn and praise songwriter 
whose songs are sung around the world. And he has a hymn about peace that captures uh, the spirit of the biblical message. The first verse of his hymn begins like this. Say no to peace. If what they mean by peace is the quiet misery of hunger, the frozen stillness of fear, the silence of broken spirits, the unborn hope of the oppressed. My wife Ruth and I lived in Malawi in Central Africa for 12 years in the 1970s. At that time, Dr. Hastings Kamuzu Banda was the president, and he was an absolute dictator. People who expressed different opinions disappeared. He talked about feeding them to the crocodiles. People we knew were picked up by the police and thrown into prison for nothing. At one stage, he took a, a, a great dislike to Jehovah's Witnesses. He had their homes burnt. They were told to get out of the country. And these poor peasants tramped across the country with their few possessions, trying to find refuge in neighboring Zambia or Mozambique. His cabinet members came round our church mission stations, telling us that Jehovah's Witnesses were evil, and if, if they came looking for help, we were not to give them a drink of water, even if they were dying. We listened in silence. Malawi was a very, on the surface, peaceful, law-abiding country in those days. But Brian Wren's words summed up how people were living. The quiet misery of hunger, the frozen stillness of fear, the silence of broken spirits, the unborn hopes of the oppressed. Missionaries like ourselves, in, in quiet ways, did what we could, some of us got expelled. It was tempting to close your eyes to suffering and injustice and, and get on with preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible and caring for the sick. And that's what we mostly did. But I look back now with a sense of shame that we did so little, that we took so few risks to promote a deeper peace. And why do we have to do something? We remember the question of Scripture, am I my brother's keeper? I wonder if any of you were at the, in the massive crowd outside the, the Belfast City Hall in, in November 1995 when Bill Clinton addressed the crowds at the, at the beginning of our peace process. I don't think I was ever at a rally where there was such an overpowering feeling of joy and hope and peace. The only words I remember him saying that evening were words that he concluded with, blessed are the peacemakers. Those words are important, not because Bill Clinton said them, 
but because he was reminding us in factuous Northern Ireland that many years ago on that mountainside in Galilee, when Jesus was instructing his disciples, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus wants us to be at peace with God. He wants us to be at peace with ourselves. He wants us to be at peace with the world. But those who are blessed are not the peace lovers or the peaceable, but the peacemakers, Jesus said. That's why we have to be concerned about conflicts and oppressions and injustice. And this is a consistent message of the New Testament. Think of the Apostle Paul, Romans 14, 19, for example, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. Peter, 1 Peter 3, 11, seek peace and pursue it. James, James 3 and 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If peace, which is a fruit of the Spirit, is to grow in our lives, we have to be peacemakers. So let's just think about that for a while. What does it mean for me, personally, to be a peacemaker? We should be careful about the words we use, the way we talk about people, careful about avoiding all kinds of gossip. We need to learn the discipline of keeping confidences. We should be quicker, perhaps, to apologize and say sorry, even if we were not strictly speaking the one and the wrong. Sorry is often the first word that leads back to peace. We have to ask ourselves today, as we want this fruit to grow, is there somewhere in our family where peacemaking is needed? Somewhere in our church here? Somewhere at work? It may not be between you and somebody else. Maybe God's wanting you to facilitate and encourage peace and reconciliation between two people known to you. Peacemaking is a work of Christ. Maybe God's calling us to work in a wider sense for justice in our society or in the world. There are many opportunities for peacemaking. As Paul says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. One final thought. God blesses obedience. It's when our lives are in line with God's will that his Spirit flows within us and enables us to walk closer to the way of Jesus Christ. And it's the presence and power of God's Spirit living within us that nourishes the growth of peace within our lives. And so we finish with the promise of God with which we started this sermon. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of God as you seek to follow him. And you know, that's true in whatever your circumstances. The more we trust and obey, the more peace grows. One of the most outstanding examples of this is the story of the famous American hymn writer Horatio Spafford. He wrote a hymn, When Peace Like a River Attendeth My Way. We're going to sing it after the sermon. 
Spafford was a leading Presbyterian, a successful lawyer in Chicago in the 1860s. He became a property tycoon in the city. In the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871, most of his properties were destroyed and he lost a fortune. Shortly after this, his two-year-old son contacted scarlet fever and died. And to try to lift the spirits of his wife, he sent her and his four daughters on a holiday to Britain, knowing that D.L. Moody was traveling there and preaching there at the time. Tragically, off the coast of Britain, the ship that he was sailing in, the Ville d'Avre, was in collision with a cargo boat and sank. 226 people died. It was the worst maritime disaster in the world prior to the Titanic's sinking. His four daughters were drowned. His wife survived. And he immediately set out for Europe to comfort her. The captain of the ship he was traveling in knew of the tragedy. And when they were passing over the area of the disaster, he called Spafford to the bridge and told him, this was a place where the accident happened. And Spafford stood there looking at the waters and thinking of his family, and then went down to his cabin and wrote, in the midst of his pain and loss, his great hymn of peace and trust in every circumstance of life, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The peace of God transcended his troubles and enabled him to cope with that terrible series of tragedies. The peace of God which transcends all understanding can guard our hearts and minds as well in Jesus Christ. So the deep, deep peace of God be with you all. We're going to finish by singing Spafford's famous hymn. Uh, And the offering will be taken up during the hymn. And I'd ask you to remain standing at the close of the hymn when Lisa will lead us in prayer. When peace like a river attendeth my way.